Hello, my name is Sandy Adamitis, the social media director for the Page International Screenwriting Awards, and your host for the Writer's Hangout, a podcast that celebrates the many stages of writing, from inspiration to the first draft, revising, getting a project made, and everything in between. We'll talk to the best and the brightest in the entertainment industry and create a space where you can hang out, learn from the pros, and have fun. Hi, writers. It's Sandy. I'm solo today to tell you the story about television writer Elizabeth Finch. I came across Elizabeth's story when a couple of you sent me the recent Vanity Fair article by Evgenia Peretz saying it would make for a good episode of the Writers' Hangout. I agree, and here it is. Elizabeth Finch is a television writer, playwright, and essayist. Elizabeth's writing credits include True Blood, The Vampire Diaries, and No Ordinary Family. Her essays are published in Elle, Cosmopolitan, and The Hollywood Reporter. Elizabeth is currently on leave of absence from her position as writer and co-executive producer of Grey's Anatomy. In the Vanity Fair article, Evgenia starts off the story writing, For years, the Grey's Anatomy writer Elizabeth Finch told her personal traumas in essays and wove those details into the show's plot until a surprise email to Shondaland. Shondaland, of course, is the television production company of writer-producer Shonda Rhimes. Shonda created Scandal, Bridgerton, Private Practice, How to Get Away with Murder, Station 19, and the recent Inventing Anna. We'll come back to that email later. Born in 1978, Elizabeth grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to middle-class parents. She had one brother named Eric. She went to Carnegie Mellon and USC Film School. I'm not sure if she graduated from USC Film School. I couldn't find that anywhere online. I could only find a reference that she attended there. And while she was at Carnegie Mellon, her mother was diagnosed with cancer and survived. Out of school, Elizabeth got a job with television writer Rick Cleveland. Rick's credits include The West Wing, Six Feet Under, Mad Men, Nurse Jackie, House of Cards, and Claws. Rick introduced Elizabeth to Alan Ball. Alan Ball, of course, is the uber-talented writer-director and producer of Six Feet Under and True Blood. He won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for American Beauty in 2000. In a side note, when I was working on the TV show American Dreams on the Gower lot off of Sunset, the Gower Lot is pretty small, and the other television show filming at the time was Six Feet Under. And for a couple of weeks at American Dreams, the POC, the production coordinator, Brenda Poulos, was fostering a litter of puppies that she found, I believe, abandoned in a lot. And the showrunner, Jonathan Prince, was cool with Brenda bringing 
all the puppies, I think there was about eight of them, all the puppies to the production office every day while she was trying to find them homes. There was a small area outside of the producer's office where the puppies hung out. And one day when I was sitting on the floor with a lap full of puppies, Alan Ball came by to talk to Jonathan Prince. I remember that Alan had a kind of sidestep all these puppies and get over two puppy gates. And he was pretty wide eyed at the time. And I remember wondering what the heck he was thinking was going around here at American Dreams. But anyways, later in the day, and I have to say, I don't know if this part is true, but I remember later on the day, Ellen's assistant called over to the uh, American Dreams production office and adopted one of the puppies. So, Alan, if you're listening, and I'm sure you listen to the Writers Hangout, Alan Ball, did you take one of the puppies and what did you name that puppy? Okay, BTE, back to Elizabeth. Alan hired Elizabeth as a writer's assistant on True Blood, and six weeks into that job, the writer's strike hit in 2007. Elizabeth, who enjoyed being independent, went on a two-day hike and got her foot lodged in the roots of an oak tree. She had to have four surgeries over the next four years, but it couldn't be fixed. She kept working and wrote her first episode of True Blood in in 2008. Good for her. According to IMDb, in 2010, she wrote two more episodes, so I'm assuming she was promoted to staff writer. In 2012, Elizabeth was hired as a story editor on the CW's Vampire Diaries. Before starting, she got knee replacement surgery and is quoted in Elle magazine as saying, I expected my surgeon to wake me up from my morphine haze to say the problem was finally fixed. Instead, he said, there's something we need to discuss. Kendra sarcoma. Kendra sarcoma is one of the three forms of primary bone cancer. The doctor said Elizabeth's knee was now functional, but a PET scan had revealed a tumor encroaching on her spinal column. The doctor said to Elizabeth, I've never seen anything like this, especially in someone your age. Nothing about this is going to be easy. Chandrosarcoma is rare and accounts for less than 1% of all the cancers. Elizabeth was still digesting the news when her mom entered the room and the doctor left. Elizabeth said she told her mother her knee replacement surgery had worked and didn't mention the cancer. The doctor wanted Elizabeth to take an indefinite leave of absence from work, saying chemo deserved her solo attention. Elizabeth said no and felt the doctor was skeptical of her commitment to getting well. Elizabeth is quoted as saying, when you're a young, career-loving woman living happily alone 3,000 miles away from your family and on the threshold of true success, work is what you do. Writing is how I made my way in the world. It defined who I am. So three mornings a week, Elizabeth went to chemotherapy and then to work because she had an outline due, a story to break, an episode to write. 
For months, Elizabeth told no one. But meanwhile, the tumor grew. In addition to chemo, she had daily doses of radiation. The first person she told was her agent, followed by her boss, who had kept her secrets, and arranged writing schedules and made concessions for Elizabeth. Around four months into it all, she began telling family and close friends. On Friday in June of 2012, Elizabeth wished the writer's room a great weekend, knowing that after she left, her boss would break the news about the cancer and that she was actually headed to Minnesota for a six-week intensive drug protocol. Her spinal tumor had grown to the point that surgery was too risky. During the protocol, Elizabeth wrote in an article for Elle magazine, mercifully, work also left me with scripts to edit, revisions to peruse. I watched the producer's cuts under a fog of Demerol, punched up dialogue about vampire werewolf hybrids with a shunt in my spine. I was down 17 pounds, bald, vomiting, but I was stubborn as hell, still working. Somehow, I felt like myself. Six weeks later, the protocol worked. Elizabeth returned to L.A. where drug cocktails and measured expectations awaited. Elizabeth's mother, Joan, was desperate to come to Los Angeles to help care for her daughter, but Elizabeth kept her parents away. When people wondered why she rejected their care, she explained they were overbearing and impossible to be around. Her brother, Eric, a doctor in Florida, wanted to speak with her doctors, but Elizabeth wouldn't let him. People close to her chalked it up to Elizabeth's independence. Elizabeth had two shows she was dying to work for, Grey's Anatomy and Parenthood. And when she landed the job at Grey's Anatomy, it was a dream come true. But according to sources at the show, a few seasons into Elizabeth's time on Grey's Anatomy, Krista Vernoff took over as the showrunner. Krista's other credits include uh, Charmed, Shameless, and Private Practice, among many, many other credits. Krista did a blind read of all the writer's work to see which would match her own vision. Unfortunately for Elizabeth, she didn't make the cut, but... Elizabeth got a second chance when someone at Shondaland resurfaced the old L article about Elizabeth's cancer and asked Krista to reconsider. Krista promptly rehired Elizabeth. According to the Vanity Fair article, Gray's Anatomy's room consisted of roughly 17 people and a sacred space where writers shared all kinds of stories and confessions. For 10 hours a day, the group would churn over past humiliations, scandals that had consumed friends, dark family secrets that mix and match them into arcs of the show's main characters. Elizabeth carried her heart and her cancer on her sleeve. In addition to a bald head and scarves, Elizabeth wore a bandage over a port on her upper chest area. You could see it behind her tank tops and cardigans. 
she could sometimes be heard retching in the bathroom and the producers would insist she go home, but she would always say, nope, nope, please no, I want to be here, just let me do one more hour. Cancer also afforded Elizabeth certain privileges. She had an extra comfortable chair, um, and from there she tacitly claimed extra talking rights. One writer described it as when Elizabeth had the floor, she was not to be interrupted and took whatever time she needed drawing out her stories. Everyone else could lose their job for being such a room hog. We all tolerate it because we thought she might be dying. These might be her final words, says the writer. Also, Elizabeth often had to pull in senior writers to help with her episode. When cancer stories were brought up as potential storylines, co-workers said, Elizabeth would seize the territory. In 2018 came the Debbie Allen Candrosarcoma storyline. In her articles, Elizabeth claimed she resisted sharing her personal story. I wanted to say no, but the loving insistence from coworkers broke down my walls. According to someone in the room, the conversation actually went a little more like this. Elizabeth. It would be so amazing to give Catherine my cancer, but maybe I shouldn't write it. It might be too triggering. The room. Okay, we'll protect you. Someone else can do it. Elizabeth. No, I can do it. In October of 2018, tragedy hit when 11 people were shot and killed at the Tree of Synagogue in Pittsburgh, the city where Elizabeth went to college. Elizabeth told the writers, that a friend of hers from college had been one of the victims. Then a few months later, Elizabeth told people she had helped clean up the remains of her friend's body from the synagogue floor in step with the Jewish tradition. In March of 2019, Elizabeth tweeted, I spent sunup to sundown cleaning up what was left of my friend after the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. As someone who stood amidst the Pittsburgh synagogue carnage, I'll just say, my heart is broken, my brain is broken, I have no words for my outrage. After Catherine Avery's cancer plot was no longer a storyline, Elizabeth became interested in another character on Grey's Anatomy, a young surgeon named Joe Wilson, and proposed a storyline. After meeting a patient who's a rape victim, Joe starts confronting her own past and, as an abused wife, learns that she's a product of rape. A pitch, Elizabeth said, that was based on a friend. According to a staffer, writing that first episode was stress-inducing for Elizabeth. She turned to the others in the room to help write it although her name was the only name credited. I have to say that actually isn't unusual. There are a myriad of reasons why the rest of the writers sometimes have to pitch in and help write a script, and the original writer keeps the sole writing credits. It it does actually happen all the time. Okay. Still, 
Elizabeth then claimed the rest of Joe's storyline for the season. Discussions were had in the room about Joe needing to check herself into a mental health facility to deal with her trauma. At the same time, Elizabeth said she was suffering from PTSD related to Pittsburgh and needed six weeks off. She checked herself into a mental health clinic in Arizona. She was no longer wearing the bandage on her upper chest, and she used the name Joe to check in. That's the end of part one of the Elizabeth Finch story. We will continue with part two. Please let us know what you think about the story. Uh, you can send us an email at the writers hangout podcast at gmail.com or contact us on our IG page, the writers hangout podcast. That's a wrap for the writers hangout. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like, and thrive. Till we get to hang out again, keep writing. The world needs your stories. The Writer's Hangout is sponsored by the Page International Screenwriting Awards. Executive producer, Kristen O'Vern. Producers, Terry Sampson and Sandy Adamitis. Music by Ethan Stoller.